Brothers and sisters, let's take out our Bibles together. Turn to 2 Corinthians this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6 here in just a moment. If you don't have a Bible, you can use one of the Navy Bibles on the pew in front of you. If you're watching with us online, I'd encourage you also to take a copy of Scripture and look at it with us. I think it'll be most profitable if we can all look at the text together, look at our own copies of Scripture together. I'll be referring back to verses time and time again throughout the message. Now, you, you might have seen the bulletin. Today's title of the message is Giving is Not About Money. Lord willing, as long as the Lord allows me to serve as your senior minister here, We will have a message on giving at the first of every year. Every year, Lord willing, have a message on giving at the beginning of the year. And Now, of course, 2020 has taught us what to do with our plans and how tightly to hold them, right? But as far as it depends on me, as far as I can see, I'm going to preach on giving once a year, probably in the beginning of the year, every year, if I can. Now... Some might see that and might say, oh, for a church to preach on giving is pretty greedy and self-serving and maybe hypocritical, but they're just going to have to keep thinking that because it's my duty as your pastor to preach and teach on this topic. Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven, more about money than he did about hell, more about money than he did about family, to not preach and teach on this would be pastoral malpractice. It's my duty as your pastor to preach and teach about this important topic. Not only did Jesus speak a ton about it, the other biblical authors speak over and over again about money, as you will see here in the sermon. Now, when it comes to Columbia Christian Church specifically, last year was a record year for us when it comes to giving. I don't know if you know this, but it was a record year forgiving when it comes to Columbia Christian Church. Forget about the fact that it was a global pandemic. If, if everything had been normal, and our expenses had been normal, and everyone gave the same amount as they gave, it was a record year for giving in a good way. We outgave our budget last year by quite a bit in a year where it was a global pandemic, in a year where it seems like people need more money, Many people are struggling financially in a year where many churches were struggling financially and some even had to close their doors because of financial issues. We had a banner year. What a blessing. We need to stop for a moment and acknowledge how much the Lord has blessed us and how much the Lord blessed us in 2020. All of our individual families and individual members of this church, it's very clear the Lord blessed us in 2020. We need to stop and acknowledge that and thank Him for it. And so, with all of that, why a sermon on giving? Why do we need a sermon on giving? Seems like we're doing pretty well, right? Well, it's because giving is not about money. Giving is about our hearts. Let's, let's read our passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6. The Apostle Paul writes, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves 
a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. Now, a few things I want you to see in this passage this morning. Number one is this. God does not require from you a certain percentage or a certain amount when you give. God does not require a certain amount or a certain percentage. Look at verse 7 one more time. See what Paul says in verse 7. What does he say? Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You do not give because I stand up here and tell you you should give. That's under compulsion, right? You do not give because someone says this is the amount that real Christians give. No, we give from our hearts out of love for the Lord what we have decided ourselves to give to Him. God does not require a certain amount or percentage from us. You might have heard the word tithe used when it comes to giving and offering in the church. Tithe is a word that simply means 10%. It comes from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it was a law from God for the Israelites to give 10%. To the Lord. 10% of their harvest, 10% of their flocks. These were means of wealth and income back then. It was a law from God. God told them specifically here's the percentage. Each one gives 10%. God told that explicitly to the Israelites in the Old Testament. But the Old Covenant laws no longer apply to us. We are New Covenant believers. And so we no longer sacrifice animals for our sins, right? We no longer keep the Passover or the Festival of Booths. We no longer worship at a tabernacle or a temple. The Old Covenant laws do not apply to believers in the New Covenant. But in the New Covenant, we are commanded to give. But God does not give us an amount or percentage. He tells us to give what we have decided in our hearts and to give cheerfully. And when it comes to giving, just like many other things in the Christian life, there are two ways to fall off of the biblical path. You can fall off of the biblical path in one of two ways. One is legalism. One is setting a rule where the Bible doesn't set a rule. There are some who will will say, you're not a real Christian unless you give this percent, right? You can't be a truly faithful Christian unless you give a certain amount. That's one way to fall off the biblical path, setting a rule on other people where the Bible doesn't put that rule on them. But we've got to be careful also not to fall off the other way. 
Most of us are more prone to the other. You see, our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts are deceitful. And we are very good, brothers and sisters, at convincing ourselves that we need to keep more than we actually do. Falling off the other way is selfishness. Keeping more for ourselves than we actually need. Some of us have grown so accustomed to a certain lifestyle that now we think we must keep enough money to finance that level of comfort. When in reality, we don't need to. We've just grown accustomed to a certain preference, a certain lifestyle. The new year, in any year, the new year is always a great time to sit down and take a heart-level look at your finances and your budget. Always a great time to do this in a new year. Take a heart-level look at your income, your money, your budget, and where that money goes. I would encourage you to do this if you haven't already done so. Some of you probably already have, but if you haven't already done so, get with those in your household. Sit down and, and take stock of where you're at, of what you did with your money last year, and ask yourself some hard questions. Like, do we need to increase our giving? Many of us have been very generous in this past year. As I noted earlier, our our budget reflects it. But do we need to increase our giving? Has God blessed us to a level where we need to give away more of His money? Is there another ministry that we want to support on top of our regular giving to the church? It's a great question to ask. As, As we said before, you guys have been extraordinarily generous to this church. Is there another ministry? Is there a missionary? Is there some other thing that you would like to support with the money that you're dedicating to the Lord? Could be. It could be a good time to do that. Many of us need to ask, are there ways I need to change my lifestyle so that I can share more with those in need? So I can give more to the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of my own comfort. Brothers and sisters, Giving is about sacrifice and priorities. It's not what's left over. We do not give leftovers to the Lord. When it comes to giving, when it comes to our budget, the Lord gets what's straight from the top. What we give to the Lord is more important than our grocery bill. What we give to the Lord is more important than heat in our house. What we give to the Lord comes straight off the top. We don't look at the month we had and say, did we have a good month? Do we have any left over to give to the Lord? No, we give to the Lord by priority, right? He is the most important thing in our lives. If you call yourself a Christian, that's what you're saying. You're saying the Lord is the most important thing in your life. Do your finances reflect that? Giving is about sacrifice. Do you remember the woman in Mark chapter 12 that Jesus saw give to the temple treasury? Jesus is watching people give to the temple treasury. He has people with Him. He's using it as a teaching moment. And it says Jesus and His disciples, they see many people giving vast amounts of money into the temple treasury. Apparently they're making a big deal about it when they give. And then comes a widow who puts in two small copper coins, it says, worth about a penny. And Jesus stops. And He turns to those that are with Him and He says, do you see what just happened? Did you see? She gave more than all the others. 
You understand? She gave more than all of them. Because they gave out of their wealth and abundance, they gave what was left over. And she gave out of her poverty, and she gave all she had to live on. And he commends her for it. And he tells his disciples, she gave more than everyone else. Why? Because giving is not about money. It's about your heart. It's about a sacrifice of the heart. And so God does not require a certain amount or percentage, brothers and sisters. He asks us to give what we have decided in our heart cheerfully. But at the same time, we see from our passage, your comfort and your contentment depend on God and not you. Paul is teaching us, the Lord is teaching us from our passage today, your comfort and your contentment depend on God, not you. Look at verse 8. In the context of this passage on giving, Paul says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Now look down at verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, those things come from God, he will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You guys, we, we think our level of comfort and contentment depend on us. How hard we work, how much money we save. But we see in Scripture multiple times, God can take all that away in an instant if He chose to do so. God can take all of your hard work, all of your investments, all of your ingenuity, all the ways that you have made money for yourself and built comfort for yourself and protection for yourself. God can take it all away in an instant if He chose to do so. God can frustrate all of our work and all of our profit, even in times of plenty. But the flip side is also true. The flip side of that is also true. God can also bless you to overflowing in a time of great need. In lean times. Haven't you seen this happen in your life from time to time? There comes a time in our lives where we work hard and we try as hard as we can and we do everything we can and then there's an unexpected setback and a lot of it comes to nothing. There are other times in our lives where it seems we haven't worked as hard as maybe we should have. We haven't worked as hard as other times. We haven't done anything and all of a sudden there's an unexpected blessing. Have you seen this? The Lord can do this because He is in control, not us. He's in control. Who is really in control in your life, in your mind, as you go about your day? Who's really in control? I know we're all going to say the Lord. We're listening to a sermon about how the Lord's in control, right? But does your life actually reflect that? Your finances reflect that? Brothers and sisters, if 2020 taught us anything, what did it teach us? God is in control, not me. Right? Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now let me set the scene up here for a second. In Deuteronomy 28, the Israelites have just wandered for 40 years in the desert. Now they're on the brink of the promised land. This land that God has promised to them specifically. A land flowing with milk and honey. They're about to go in, right? And Moses doesn't get to go in. Moses has to stay out. Now there's a whole Testament backstory to that. But Moses knows he's about to die, the Lord's told him. So Moses gives his final speech to the Israelites in Deuteronomy as their leader. And through Moses, God tells them a lot of important things before they go in. 
Probably the most important is this. As you go into the promised land, you must remain faithful to me, your God. You must remain faithful to my commandments. You must not follow after other gods and worship idols. Because if you remain faithful to me, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of everything. You will love living in this land. But if you are not faithful to me, if you are not faithful to me, I will frustrate your life. And eventually, if you keep being unfaithful to me, this land will spit you out. That's exactly what happened, by the way, if you keep reading your Old Testaments. But listen to Deuteronomy chapter 28. God says, if you're not faithful to me, Israelites, as you go into this promised land, if you are not faithful to me, you shall carry much seed into the field and shall gather in little. Carry much seed, but you gather little. For the locust shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worm shall eat them. What's God saying? He's saying, I'm in control. You're not in control. I'm in control. And so remain faithful to me because your prosperity really doesn't depend on you. It depends on me. I can take it all away in an instant. Listen to what he says further on in that chapter. Deuteronomy 28.67 In the morning you shall say, if only it were evening. And at the evening you shall say, if only it were morning. Because of the dread that your heart shall feel and the sights that your eyes shall see. God says, I can take away even your ability to be content in the time of day. I can make you anxious. I can make you frustrated. I can make you stressed out even when nothing's going on. He's in control. We are not. God is the one who gives us comfort. God is the one who gives us contentment. Not our own work ethic. Not our own ingenuity. Now none of this means we go home and we just quit trying to work. None of this means we go home and we quit actually thinking about our finances. No, it's a heart-level disposition that we're talking about here. It's a heart-level attitude that says, no matter how hard I work, I'm, I'm constantly dependent on God. No matter how much money is in the bank, God could take it all away in an instant if He wants to. No matter how hard times are, God will get us through. Remember the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. Jesus' story about the rich fool who has such a wealth of of harvest and crops, they can't even fit in his barns. And he says, I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns, and then I'll store everything in there. And then I'll kick my feet up, and I'll retire early, and I'll enjoy life, and I'll spend it all on my pleasure. And God says to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. Brothers and sisters, money is dangerous to us spiritually. Money is a danger to our souls. Now it's part of life. We've got to use it. We've got to make it. We've got to spend it. But it is dangerous to seek it. It is dangerous to put hope in it. Money is dangerous to our souls. Jesus said it is hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is. You want to make it harder on yourself to go to heaven? All you got to do is try to get rich. It's going to make it harder on you to get to heaven. In 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 9, Paul says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Paul is saying, because of money, some people have walked away from God and have lost their salvation. Because of a desire for money. So guard your heart against it. Money is dangerous, brothers and sisters. And when it comes to comfort and contentment, that stuff depends on God. Ultimately, it is from God. It is not from us. We are constantly dependent on Him. We are to be constantly in a state of humility, realizing that He could take it all away in an instant if He chose to. And so we are to thank Him for it. We are to give in such a way that reflects a heart that depends on God for everything and realizes it's all a blessing from Him. Now third, our text teaches us that God blesses us so that we can bless others. God blesses us so that we can bless others. Let me show you where. Verse 8. In verse 8, it says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In some translations, that word abound is translated overflow. God gives you more than you need so that you can overflow to others. That's what Paul is saying. If God has given you more than you need, it's because He wants you to let that overflow go into good works for others. Now look at verse 11. and Watch the language in verse 11. Watch the language. Language is important in the Bible. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You see that? You see the purpose statement there? You will be enriched in every way to be in order that you may be generous in every way. The reason God is blessing you is so that you can bless others. The reason that God has blessed us this past year, He has. It's clear. He's blessed us this past year here at Columbia Christian Church. The reason is so that we can share with others who have needs. Listen to Ephesians 4.28, where Paul says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. And that's the first half of the verse. Don't be a thief. Get a job. Provide for yourself in an honest way. But watch this. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Paul said, I want thieves to turn their life around, to make an honest living for themselves, to have a job, so that they can share with others. That's the reason, so that they can share with those in need. Remember, brothers and sisters, everything you have is the Lord's. Everything you have is the Lord's. Your body is not your own. We've learned that from 1 Corinthians, right? Your body is not your own. Your time is not your own. Your children are not your own. Your money is not your own. God has made you a steward of His stuff for a temporary time. That's life, right? Life is God has made you a steward of His stuff for a temporary time. But you know what that means? That means there's going to come a time where the owner calls the steward to account. There's going to come a time where you have to stand before the Lord to give an account for how you used the things that He entrusted you. Your time, your abilities, your money. Will you be found faithful 
Will He find that we have been faithful with His things when He returns? And we have to give an account. Brothers and sisters, the Christian life is not about you taking care of yourself. You don't find that anywhere in Scripture. The the Christian life is not about us taking care of ourselves. The Christian life is about two things ultimately. Loving God with everything we have and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Right? Isn't it interesting that when someone asked Jesus, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in all of Scripture? Jesus didn't say, they're all important. There's no one more important than the other. He didn't say that. He actually gave one. He said, here it is. Here's the one greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And then he was like, I'll give you a second too. The second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments in all of the Bible. And Jesus says, all the law and the prophets, all of Scripture hangs on those two commandments. They can all be summed up in those two commandments. And so it follows then that our finances are for the purpose of loving God and loving others. That's what our finances are for. They're not so that we can take care of ourselves primarily. They're for loving God and loving others. Now, a word to young people. COVID-19 has been very interesting when it comes to church trends, especially church attendance. In many churches, and this hasn't necessarily been true of ours, but in many churches what's happened, and I I, I know this because I hear so many stories, these are all anecdotal, I I hear stories from pastors and other people at other churches. In so many churches, once the, the shutdown happened, the people who came back to church were not the young people. It was the older people. The older people were the ones that started coming back to church, and a lot of the younger people are staying away, not coming back, not returning to church. Interesting even further is when you combine that with the trend in finances. Because in a lot of churches, again, this is not true of everyone, but in a lot of churches, what happened is that the older people returned, the young people didn't, but the finances stayed steady. Why is that? Well, it's because the older people are the givers. The young people are not giving, or at least they're not giving much, right? The reason I bring this up, young people, is because giving is a discipline that needs to be cultivated. It's a discipline that needs to be cultivated in all of us. And when you're young, you really need to work on this, because a lot of our older folks have cultivated this discipline throughout their lives, and now it's just part of life. It's just a habit. It's like brushing your teeth for a lot of people. But there are some of us where it's not like that. You've got to cultivate in your life a habit, a discipline of giving. It's not enough to wait until you feel that you want to give. That is not what verse 7 means in here. Interestingly enough, if you look at verse 7, I I saw something in verse 7 this past week that I've never noticed before. And you might have noticed this a long time ago, but it was new to me. Verse 7, Paul's talking about how we should decide to give, right? And he starts talking about the heart. And he said, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Now think about the heart. Think about the way that we usually think about our hearts. You know, when, when we watch Disney movies, and it says, follow your heart, it's talking about your feelings. It's talking about your like, inner self and everything. But it's, it's really a feelings word. Heart's 
about feelings. Your mind's about decisions, right? The heart is feelings. The mind is decisions. But Paul says, no, you're deciding in your heart. You know what that means? That means your, your heart is not just your feelings. Your heart is the, the, the center of your will and all of your inner life, your, your spiritual life, your mental life. It's the center of your will and your mind. The heart in the Bible includes your mind. And so Paul says, decide to give from your heart. What this means is you don't just wait until you feel like you want to give. Sometimes what God says goes against what I feel. And in those moments, I have to let God win, not my feelings, right? When God's word goes against what I feel, I go with God's word. And so sometimes we have to start cultivating a discipline in our lives that we don't feel at first. It's kind of like reading the Bible every day. You ever tried to start reading the Bible every day and you just don't feel it that day and you don't feel it the next day and you, you just do it out of duty? Well, it's, it starts off like that. It really does. It's sometimes it's just a duty that you do because you, you know, I, I know God says this is good for me, so I'm going to trust him and just do it and then get it over with and do it again tomorrow. But pretty soon you start doing that for long enough, what happens? It goes from duty to delight. You love doing it. You need to do it. You can't live without it, right? The, the discipline of giving is like that. You've got to cultivate it. You've got to start putting parameters in place in your everyday life. You've got to look at your budget. You've got to make plans, right? You don't just give when you feel like it. You make plans to do it. You analyze it because you're deciding from your heart to give to the Lord. It's a discipline that needs to be cultivated. And brothers and sisters, your giving is a reflection of your heart. Giving's not about money, it's about the heart, right? Our giving is a reflection of our heart. And so ask yourself, does your giving reflect the heart that is given over to God and His people? Does your giving reflect a heart that loves God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Loves neighbor as self? Does your giving reflect a priority on the local church even above some other aspects of life? Or does your giving reflect a heart that gives leftovers to God if there are any? <clears throat> I'll end with this. Look at verse 15 with me. The last verse in our text. Verse 15. Where Paul says, Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. What is that? It's the gift of Jesus Christ. Jesus said at one point, It's more blessed to give than receive. But guess what? You've received way more from God than you will ever give. But it's more blessed to give than receive. You know what's great about that? The most blessed one is the one who has given most. And so God is the one who is most blessed forever because He has given most. You will never outgive God. You can't beat God's giving. You can't put God in your debt. And he wants it that way on purpose. So he gets the glory. So we're dependent on him. He's not dependent on us. He needs nothing from us. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the Bible says. He does not need you to give him anything. Because giving is not about money. He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. He is the most blessed one because he has given most. Thank God for his inexpressible gift. God so loved the world 
that he gave his son. That's what God gave. And Romans 8, 32 tells us that if God was willing to give us his son, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God gives and gives and gives and gives. One of my favorite places in the Old Testament is when David had it in his heart to build a temple to God. What an unselfish thing, right? To want to build God a temple. To want to build God a house. David actually said, I dwell in this great house and the ark of the Lord dwells in a tent. Let's build a house for God. And God sends a prophet to David and says, no. God says, I don't need that. I don't need that from you. And then God says, actually, guess what? You're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. A spiritual house. You will never fail, David, to have a descendant on the throne. And David is just overwhelmed by the grace that God has given him and the generosity of God. When David was trying to be generous to God, God just turns it around and says, no, I'm going to be generous to you. I'm putting you in my debt. That's how God works. And we give glory to him. So all of our giving is just an overflow in response to what he's already given to us. When you put money in the offering, you're giving God back his own stuff. He gets all the glory. And it all comes back to the cross. Notice in verse 13 how Paul talks about this was the submission that came from their confession of the gospel of Christ. We give, and it comes from the confession that we give to Jesus as the ultimate gift. When we give, we are confessing that God has given the ultimate gift. And this is just small stuff that we can give back. What a blessing, what a joy to have a God like that, to have a gift like that. And so we're going to spend just a few moments, brothers and sisters, in reflective prayer on what God's laid on our hearts. Just like with every week, with every word that we receive from God, I don't know what the Holy Spirit is laying on your heart particularly, so I want to give you just a few moments to reckon with God personally, individually, privately, on what He's laid on your heart, and then we'll come back and we'll have a time of uh, public response. But for now, this is a time of private response, private prayer. Let's pray silently for just a few moments based on what we just heard.